This is the Bible in One Year Express, day 360. How to handle money. The day after Christmas, many of us may feel rather out of pocket, but this issue does not only arise around Christmas time. Most of us have to deal with money in some way every day of our lives, but we prefer not to talk about it in church. However, Jesus talked about money a great deal. Bible has a lot to say about it. Money matters. It matters to us and it matters to God. How should you handle money? From Proverbs 31 A wife of noble character, who can find? She's worth far more than rubies. Her husband has full confidence in her and lacks nothing of value. She gets up while it's still night. She provides food for her family. She considers a field and buys it. Out of her earnings, she plants a vineyard. She sets about her work vigorously. Her arms are strong for her tasks. She sees that her trading is profitable and her lamp does not go out at night. She opens her arms to the poor and extends her hands to the needy. Prioritize relationships over money. Relationships matter far more than money. For example, all the money in the world cannot compensate for an unhappy marriage. On the other hand, anyone who has a happy marriage lacks nothing of value. A wife of noble character who can find. She's worth far more than rubies. Her husband has full confidence in her and lacks nothing of value. As the writer of Proverbs extols the virtues of a wife of noble character, he begins with a number of areas of her life that relate directly or indirectly to finance. She's a great example of someone who has the right attitude to money. As John Wesley said, Earn all you can, save all you can, give all you can. First, earn all you can. She's hardworking and diligent in earning a living. She gets up early and provides food for her family. She's a good steward. She invests her money wisely. She trades profitably. Second, save all you can. She enjoys her work and the good things of life. She saves some of her earnings. She puts money aside. Third, give all you can. She is generous. She opens her arms to the poor and extends her hands to the needy. Generous giving is the appropriate response to God's generosity and to the needs of others. It's the way to break materialism. Lord, help me to be a good steward of everything you entrust to me. May I always be generous especially to the poor and needy. New Testament from Revelation 18 Fallen, fallen is Babylon the Great. She's become a dwelling for demons and a haunt for every impure spirit. For all the nations have drunk the maddening wine of her adulteries. The kings of the earth committed adultery with her and the merchants of the earth grew rich from her excessive luxuries. Then I heard another voice from heaven say, Come out of her, my people, so that you will not share in her sins, so that you will not receive any of her plagues. For her sins are piled up to heaven, and God has remembered her crimes. 
Therefore, in one day, her plagues will overtake her, death, mourning, and famine. She will be consumed by fire, for mighty is the Lord God who judges her. The merchants of the earth will weep and mourn over her because no one buys their cargoes anymore. Cargoes of gold, silver, precious stones and pearls, cattle and sheep, horses and carriages, and human beings sold as slaves. The merchants who sold these things and gained their wealth from her will stand far off, terrified at her torment. They will weep and mourn and cry out, Woe, woe to you, great city, dressed in fine linen, purple and scarlet, and glittering with gold, precious stones and pearls. In one hour, such great wealth has been brought to ruin. Do not put your trust in money. In the Bible, there's no ban on making money, saving it, and enjoying the good things of life. What is warned against is selfish accumulation, an unhealthy obsession with money, or putting your trust in riches. This leads to perpetual insecurity and takes you away from God. Money is not a neutral, impersonal medium of exchange. Jesus said you cannot serve both God and mammon. Mammon was the god of wealth in Carthage. Money has all the characteristics of a god. It seems to offer security, freedom, power, influence, status and prestige. It is capable of inspiring devotion and single-minded preoccupation. Yet, as Dietrich Bonhoeffer put it, our hearts have room only for one all-embracing devotion and we can only cleave to one Lord. In this passage, John is given a vision of an event that must have seemed inconceivable to his readers, the fall of Babylon the Great. In the immediate context, this is a prophecy, an event that will not take place for another 320 years, the overthrow of the Roman Empire in AD 410. When John was writing, the empire seemed invulnerable. It was at the height of its power. It was enjoying peace and security. Yet John sees that the characteristics of the city were the seeds of its own downfall. Babylon here also represents any power that sets itself up apart from God. John highlights a series of fatal weaknesses that lie behind any society's downfall. First, rampant evil. She's become a home for demons and a haunt for every evil spirit. Second, endemic promiscuity. All the nations have drunk the maddening wine of her adulteries. The kings of the earth committed adultery with her. Third, excessive luxuries. The merchants of the earth grew rich from her excessive luxuries. It's probably her great riches that led to arrogance. Fourth, human trafficking and slaves, their terrible traffic in human lives. John appears to be pointing out that slaves are not mere carcasses to be bought and sold as property, but are human beings. In this emphatic position at the end of the list, this is more than just a comment on the slave trade. It's a comment on the whole list of cargoes. It suggests the inhuman brutality, the contempt for human life, on which the whole empire's prosperity and luxury rested. 
Today, human trafficking and the resurgence of slavery with millions of modern-day slaves points to something desperately wrong with our society. Riches, splendor, and luxury are transient. They come and they go. John warns the people of God not to be contaminated by the sins of Babylon. Come out of her, my people, so that you will not share in her sins. The glories of ancient Rome may have long passed, but this challenge and message are as relevant to us today as they were then. Lord, keep my heart from arrogance and all the other evils that so often can go with relative wealth. Help us as a church to do all we can to fight against human trafficking and modern-day slavery. Thank you that while great empires come and go, the word of the Lord endures forever. Old Testament from Nehemiah 5-7 to Now the men and their wives raised a great outcry against their fellow Jews. Some were saying, in order for us to eat and stay alive, we must get grain. Although we are of the same flesh and blood as our fellow Jews, and though our children are as good as theirs, yet we have to subject our sons and daughters to slavery. Some of our daughters have already been enslaved. But we are powerless, because our fields and our vineyards belong to others. When I heard their outcry and these charges, I was very angry. I pondered them in my mind and then accused the nobles and officials. I told them, you're charging your own people interest. So I called together a large meeting to deal with them and said, you're selling your own people only for them to be sold back to us. They kept quiet because they could find nothing to say. So I continued, what you're doing is not right. Shouldn't you walk in the fear of our God? I and my brothers and my men are also lending the people money and grain. But let's stop charging interest. Give back to them immediately their fields, vineyards, olive groves and houses. And also the interest you're charging them. 1% of the money, grain, new wine and olive oil. We will give it back, they said. And we will not demand anything more from them. We will do as you say. Then I summoned the priests and made the nobles and officials take an oath to do what they had promised. Moreover, from the twentieth year of King Artaxerxes, when I was appointed to be their governor in the land of Judah, until his thirty-second year, twelve years, neither I nor my brothers ate the food allotted to the governor. But the earlier governors, those preceding me, placed a heavy burden on the people and took forty shekels of silver from them in addition to food and wine. Their assistants also lorded it over the people. But out of reverence for God, I did not act like that. Instead, I devoted myself to the work on the wall. All my men were assembled there for the work. We did not acquire any land. Set an example in handling money. Nehemiah was a leader who set a superb example in handling money. Sooner or later, most of us will go through times of financial difficulty and lack of resources, either in our own personal lives or in our churches. What do we do in these situations? Nehemiah was facing such a situation. Some of the people did not have enough food to stay alive. Others had to mortgage their fields and homes. Still others had to borrow money to pay their taxes. What can we learn from Nehemiah's example? First, 
He thought about it very carefully. I pondered in my mind. When facing a financial crisis, it's not wise to rush into hasty solutions. It needs careful thought. Second, he called a meeting. Some meetings are at best a waste of time and at worst counterproductive. However, some meetings are important and necessary. Nehemiah had the wisdom to know the difference between these two kinds of meetings. He refused to meet with his opponents who were scheming to harm him, despite being asked five times. However, here Nehemiah calls a meeting. He tells the people that what they're doing is not right. They should not be charging interest. Let the exacting of usury stop. He orders them to give back the fields, vineyards, olive groves and houses, and also the usury you are charging them. The meeting was successful. We will give it back, they said, and we will not demand anything more from them. We will do as you say. The people did as they promised. Third, and most important, he set an example in his own life. First, personal integrity. Out of his reverence for God, Nehemiah did not act like the earlier governors who'd placed heavy burdens of taxation on the people and allowed their assistants to lord it over them. Second, modest lifestyle. Neither I nor my brothers ate the food allotted to the governor. Third, no personal gain. All my men were assembled there for the work and we did not acquire any land. I never demanded the food allotted to the governor because the demands were heavy on these people. Fourth, generosity to others. Furthermore, 150 Jews and officials ate at my table, as well as those who came to us from the surrounding nations. Fifth, single-minded hard work. I devoted myself to the work on this wall. He refused to be put off by the threats of his opponents who were trying to frighten him. Instead, he prayed, Now strengthen my hands. Nehemiah finished what he'd started. Many people know how to start things, but they often lack what Pippa's father used to call carry-through. Nehemiah had the stickability to complete what he'd begun. The success of the project was the perfect answer to the critics. So the war was completed on the 25th of Elul in 52 days. When all our enemies heard about this, all the surrounding nations were afraid and lost their self-confidence because they realized that this work had been done with the help of our God. Lord, give me wisdom in how to handle money. Help me to set an example in my own personal life, to live a life of integrity with no preoccupation with personal gain and a modest lifestyle, hard work and generosity to others. Pepper adds, Looking at Proverbs 31, I feel rather inadequate when I read about this do-it-all, have-it-all, be-it-all woman. Actually, I don't think we have to be all these things. What really matters is our relationship with God and doing what he's called us to do.